You're listening to episode 185 of the Tennis Files podcast with special guest, the hero of Wimbledon, Marcus Willis. Welcome to the Tennis Files podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey, Pete. So last month, you gave everybody this awesome free presentation on how to start an online business. And I know that you're such a giving person. So I was wondering what you might have for everybody this month. Yeah, this month, what I'd like to do is give coaches or anybody passionate out there that wants to get start online and uh, you know have their passion turn into their business, I'm going to give a presentation, five essential steps on how to start a successful YouTube channel. I really think YouTube is the best platform to be on because it's it's a problem solver. When people want to learn how to fix their serve, you know, they're really not going to Instagram and Facebook and typing in how to fix my serve, but they are doing that on YouTube. And uh, during the pandemic, actually, 77% of people said they learned something new when the pandemic hit last year. So everybody's trying to learn something new. It's very important. It's done wonders for my online coaching business. And so that's why I'm giving away this month. Wow. Uh, I totally agree with you, Pete. I mean, YouTube is the best place to be, I think, um, for for people who want to get more of an audience. And uh, where exactly can people find uh, this this free, awesome uh, you know, thing that you want to give out? Yeah, well, you want to get on my email list, so you can go to coachtennisonline.com, and then when you sign up, I'll give you that free presentation as well as lots of education on how you can grow a business online, especially if you love tennis and want to maybe coach some tennis online. Awesome, Pete. Uh, Everybody should definitely check that out. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Maribon. You have a great month, and keep up the awesome work. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the podcast. This is Mirban Aranchad, your host. And on the show, I interview the world's top pros, coaches, and experts to help you improve your tennis game. And today I have a really fun interview with Marcus Willis. And Marcus uh, has achieved a career high ranking of 322 in singles and 209 in doubles on the ATP Tour. He is very, very famous for going from teaching tennis lessons uh, and making 30 pounds an hour, that's uh, in uh, English currency, to playing Roger Federer in a second round match on center court at Wimbledon in 2016 in a matter of a few weeks. And Marcus was also ranked as high as 15 in the combined junior world rankings. And so we get into a lot of great topics, obviously, uh, just the amazing run that he went on in 2016, going through pre-qualifying to qualifying and then even winning, you know, a match in Wimbledon main draw and playing Roger Federer. Uh, And we also go through a great run that he had the next year at Wimbledon as well, notching some really big wins, including against the defending champions (laughs) in doubles. So uh, we go through that, but we also go through some really great tactics and techniques. You know, we talk about uh, Double strategy, single strategy, uh, where to place the ball, some doubles tactics and strategy tips, uh, how to poach, uh, well, rather how to uh, move on the I formation. And yeah, it's, it's really great, chock full of uh, mental game advice as well. So I think you'll really enjoy this mix of uh, just inspirational 
uh, a journey for Marcus as well as the uh, you know the pure golden nugget tips that Marcus brings us. So I, uh, it'll be a great one for you, and I really enjoyed it and look forward to re-listening it to it myself. So without further ado, here is my interview with ATP Pro Marcus Willis. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Tennis Falls Podcast. It's really a pleasure and an honor to have Marcus Willis on the podcast. Uh, just uh, an amazing story, as I'm sure many of you, if, if you're tennis fans at all, uh, have heard about uh, you know his run at Wimbledon. And uh, you know he's a, a great example of somebody who can uh, who has battled adversity and, and come back and, and really done great things. And uh, I'm really excited to to speak with Marcus. So uh, Marcus, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast today. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I'm I'm really excited to dig into to your career and uh, the things that you've been doing and continue to do. So you know, as as the viewers know, I give kind of a more elaborate uh, in, uh, intro of of all your accomplishments before uh, we started speaking. But you know, I always get very interested in how people get their start in playing tennis. So I want to hear your story, Marcus, about you know your first time uh, picking up a racket and how you got into the sport. Um, I actually played badminton because my mum was a, uh, a decent badminton player back in her day. And then my badminton coach uh, started doing this mini tennis session on a Thursday, which I joined in. And he told my parents, look, he's good at that as well. Like, bearing in mind, I was, I was nationally good at badminton. I was in the, I had GB trials under 15 when I was nine. So I, I was pretty talented at badminton. Um, I would have never made anything just because of my size, but um, that's where my hand skills come from. Um, mm. But I, it, in the end, I had to choose between tennis and badminton because my parents, I was only 24 hours in a day and I've got an older sister, school and stuff like that. So I had to basically pick tennis and I didn't play badminton again until like a few years later when I played for my school. Mm. Uh, and and I, I wasn't as good then, but I was, yeah, still won a few matches. Very interesting. You know, when you talk about uh, badminton and, and you mentioned that you didn't think due to your body type that you would uh, be as good in it. Well, I mean, what type of body type do you need to be good in badminton? I think you need to be, yeah, uh, short, sharp, mm. just quicker reactions. There's, there's, there's a lot of uh, good Asian badminton players, like Chinese, mm. Indonesian. It, it, they're very, very naturally more fast twitch. It's a bigger sport there, whereas I'm tall i'm not six three so um i'm not even if i was one percent body fat i'd still weigh quite a lot so mm-hmm. i don't know maybe i could have been an exception but i doubt it <laughs> yeah you never know uh i mean you've certainly mm-hmm. uh persevered through a lot of a lot of tough things so um but uh you know in terms of your junior career i mean you know you became ranked as high as 15 in the combined junior world rankings but i want to step back a bit and just kind of ask you about your junior progression and kind of when it was that you were able to establish yourself in the top of the rankings and how you did that um, it's, a, it's a little bit of a blur for me, but but I know roughly when I was 14 years old, I was training 20, 20, 25 hours a week professionally, and I gradually got a bit better. Like I was wasn't even best in my area, and then I became like top two in my area, and then I played the the British Masters final under 14. So that was like a like a hell of a result for me then. So I was aiming for top 16 in the country under 14, and then by the time I was 
under 16, I played the Winter Cup for GB, me, Dan Evans, and, and Lewis Barnes. So I was top three in the country under 16, um, pushing on. And yeah, played, played Summer Cup for GB under 18, played Winter under 16. Yeah, gradually, gradually just, <laughs> yeah, I think it's obvious, but the harder you train, I had a very good coach. And I just put the work in and I gradually got better. Yeah, for sure. Um, what type of, um, you know, overall environment was it for, so I guess this will benefit some juniors. Like, did you do, uh, were you in an academy most of that time uh, as a junior or did you like also do a lot of, um, you know, pickup matches with, uh, with really good players? How did that all shape out? Not until I was, I trained at a place called Bisham Abbey in Marla hmm. and it was, me and my coach, Victor Rubinoff, is actually married to Olga Morozova, who made the final Wimbledon yeah. uh, back in 1970-something, I believe. Um, so that was my coach, Russian guy, and my training partner, Neil Porfley. It was just me and him for, for about nine years. Um, sorry, not nine years. I trained at Bisham for nine years. It was mm-hmm. me and him between the age of 12 and 17, so five years. It was just me and Neil. So we played each other all the time. Obviously, we were playing tournaments around the country and stuff, but it was, we'd do basket drills and we'd do our routine. Then an academy came in uh, with, with tons of good players. There were 11 of us in the top 100 ITF juniors at the same academy. So it became, wow, yeah, better, better for practice sets for sure. And yeah, more varied. And then when I was nearly 18, I went to the, I got offered a contract to the LTN. I went there. But yeah, I, I trained at the same place for, for a good period of time. Very nice. Very nice. Kind of taking a step back a little bit. Uh, you know, we, we've talked before this episode, uh, about, uh, English premier league and, uh, bless you. And, uh, you know, Liverpool and Tottenham. And so uh, for those of you who, who are listening on the audio version of the podcast, uh, you know, I'm, I'm wearing a Tottenham Hotspurs Jersey and Marcus is wearing a Liverpool scarf. Um, but di- did you ever, uh, as when you were a junior, um, you know, you, you played badminton and I think that helped a lot. I'm sure with your, like, as you mentioned, you know, your touch and feel, uh, did you play any soccer or any other sports to, uh, make yourself into an athlete as well? I did at school. I actually uh, actually ran for my cross country team for my school, so I've got mm. a very good engine for a big guy. Yeah. Um, so I yeah I did cross country for my school. Obviously, I was doing a lot of running for physical fitness with my tennis as well. Um, football, soccer. I didn't I didn't stop. I didn't play past the age of nine or ten properly um, mm. because of injuries and stuff like that. But it's something I I'd love to do when I retire is play for a play for a team. A weekend team. I, I love playing it. I play for fitness five a side with some of my friends. Awesome. Um, back before COVID times, every yeah. Wednesday night, eight or nine. I love I love playing it. So, wow, what position? No, not while I was playing tennis. Gotcha. Uh, midfield, attacking midfield a lot of the time. Um, I, play, I played a, a match against Leicester City Legends a few years ago, and I played right wing. Wow. Uh, right wing or right mid? Right mid. So. A lot of running, like the next day was hard because it's ninety <laughs> minutes, and I'm not used to it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so much, so much fun. It's it's lovely being part of a team as well. Yeah, yeah, I imagine uh, amazing for conditioning. Uh, very cool, very cool, Marcus. And so, uh, you know, as we mentioned, you you got to the very top of the junior rankings. At what point in your junior career did you decide and, and uh, conclude that you know I I'm ready uh, to become a professional or that I want to do that? 
I, I probably dreamt about it when I was like eight or nine. My parents used to take me to Queens once a year on a Thursday, take a little packed lunch and watch all the players. And I sort of fell in love with Goran there. He was like my idol. Yeah. Every year we'd try and watch Goran if he was still in the tournament. Um, and yeah, I got an autograph off him and, and I thought I'd love to play here one day. Mm. You know, be a pro. Um, when it became a reality, probably 13, 14, when I started doing well nationally, I thought, okay. Like you always, I always dream big, mm. um, certainly as a, as a kid. And a junior, you have to, I think, if you want to be, be good. Um, yeah, so probably from the age of 13, 14, mm. I thought, this is something I want to do in my life. Yeah, but professionally, you know, yeah, no, that's that's awesome. Um, you know, the thing is, yeah, a lot of people they they dream big, but it seems like they don't quite, you know, connected by putting you know the dreams into like a, an actual plan and then you know putting in the hard mm-hmm. work. So, like, what what allowed you? I mean, to do that, uh, you know, apart from just the dreaming. Uh, I said my Russian coach. He was <laughs> very strict. I needed a bit of. Um, I still do now. Like I'm quite relaxed about stuff. I needed to, to really understand the work ethic and what it took. And I really did work hard um, all those years. This was off court. I messed around a bit, but once I learned that, yeah, you've got to put the work in on court. Mm-hmm. That was a big turning, turning, uh, turning point for me. Gotcha. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking, thinking back now, it brings back all the memories of, sort of training. My parents obviously pay for my coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that helped um, driving me around everywhere I was getting changed on the way to school so I'd do training in the morning get, get driven to school and then go back for training again so mm. my mum was a my mum and dad were taxi drivers for, for a while they lost, <laughs> lost out on on a lot of their own lives so I mean without that there's, yeah, there's no chance I would have made it yeah definitely shout out to your parents uh, they're so, so integral you, you know we you talked about like the need to train hard and, and that you know sometimes you'll get in these phases perhaps where maybe you're relaxing but then you realize you have to train hard again so I mean what what do you do like I'm curious about the technique uh, you know for people who feel like you know I'm, I'm in this sort of uh, rut and I feel like I'm lazy but I know I need to actually push myself like what are what's some advice you can give to really like jumpstart that uh, that change you know to to working hard uh, I was very lucky I was I had a coach with me on court and if I didn't put the work in he'd send me home mm-hmm. I got mm-hmm. kicked off, okay I got kicked <laughs> off court a couple of times uh, so I knew if I didn't put 100% in I'm gone um, but I would say to people, surround yourself with people who you fear a little bit, like a coach. Mm. You got to put yourself in the right environment, otherwise, yeah, otherwise it's going to be easy to just tap out whenever it gets hard. That's why people pay for personal trainers. It's why coaches are important. And for me, for me, it was actually, uh, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna miss out on playing points here if I don't work hard in, in the drills. I was scared of that because I love playing points. So it was like an incentive, but there was consequences for me not working hard. And, and if I was not scared of someone, but I wouldn't mess with them. Mm-hmm. That was me as a personality. I needed someone like that working with me. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. Uh, you know, there's books out there on like finding out your personality and then like what makes you tick and whatnot. But I, I know my particular personality type, 
I need accountability. I need somebody to, you know, push me because I actually, you know, for when other people ask, you know, for favors or for deadlines, like I'm, I, for whatever reason, like do that, uh, without a problem, but for my own internal things that I want, I actually need accountability. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, the old adage of surrounding yourself with the five people, or basically you, you're a product of the five people that you surround yourself uh, the most with. So if you have a, you know, hardcore Russian coach that'll <laughs> help you uh, achieve good I didn't, things. I didn't know five, but yeah. So it became my life. Yeah. I'd wake up in the morning, I'd eat early, go to training, and everything I did was to make myself a bullet in this place. My parents were, yeah. They didn't let me get away with stuff at home. Um, I was very grounded. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that was important for me to have a normal life outside of tennis as much as you can mm-hmm. as well. So actually, when you go home, now you're going to do the washing up. You're going to help with the chores. You're going to, mm. you don't get home and, oh, I'm going to stretch and, and you know, you need to be, you need to be sucked outside of tennis for a little bit. I do. Otherwise it just consumes you. I find. Got it. Yeah, that's perfect that you touched upon that because that was actually my next question because you had mentioned that it, you know, the tennis consumed you and you, you know, all thinking about that pretty much. But then, uh, you know, I was going to say, could that be like too much sometimes for players if like all they think about is tennis? Because I've talked with some mental performance coaches and they've said like, uh, you know, sometimes what people do is they'll attach their their personal worth with tennis so that like if they lose like they think that they're a piece of crap or something you know so that can be very detrimental but it sounded like you were able to also have this other part of your life where so tennis wasn't everything kind of uh yeah i I just didn't think about tennis sometimes like Mm. i'd do other things like homework or you know i wasn't thinking about tennis when i'm told to load the dishwasher or (laughs) uh, go, go and put the compost out or something like that um yeah but yeah, I, I was obviously a tennis pro and that was the way I lived. But I do find certainly as I grew up, even from a young age, like as soon as I'm off court, I, I want to talk about soccer. I want to talk about other things. Mm-hmm. What I struggle with traveling with quite a few other tennis players is people who go to dinner and talk about tennis all the time <laughs> and strings and, and, and certain rackets and weights. And it just for me, I, I love the sport, but it became too much sometimes. So. Yeah, that's something I struggle with, and I couldn't really switch off from it. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, um, it makes sense. Yeah, so it's something that is very personal, I'd say. Mm-hmm. But your environment, the the being, yeah, environment is is very very important, and I, you can change that if if you're lazy and you're getting away with stuff or not quite working hard, you can really change things. Mm. Like if you want to lose weight, I don't buy chocolate, I don't buy crisps. Mm. It's it's controllable. If it's there, I'll eat it. Mm-hmm. So I put myself in a different environment, and it's it's much easier. Not right now, but in general. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean it's it's amazing. Like to your point, you know, like if you have your cell phone right in front of you, then it's very easy to when you hear a ring, you pick it up. But if if you have it in the other room, you're not gonna hear it. You're not gonna pick it up. So it's the environment thing. Same with the snacks and so forth. So. Great point. Oh, yeah, I, I have my, my notifications off on mm-hmm. WhatsApp. I just have, you know, um, I check it every so often. And yeah. Because, yeah, if if my phone, especially with some of the group chats I'm involved in, <laughs> like I'll be on my phone all day. It's it's bad enough. I'm on it too much anyway. But as, yeah. you, as you said, you've got to, if you want to improve anything, not just tennis, you've got to 
give yourself a different perspective. Hundred percent. Hundred percent, man. So um yeah, I mean great advice there, very important points. You know, kind of so going to your transition from the junior from your junior career to the pro career, I'm curious uh, about how that was like for you, you know, how it felt, the differences between, uh, you know, ITF juniors and the pro tour and, and, and all that. My transition was okay. I, I went from obviously being a top junior my first year on the circuit, I was like 550 ATP, mm-hmm. which is all right. But Very I good. thought it was going to be easier. I wasn't ready for the, the shock of staying at the Grand Hyatt on Fifth Avenue in New York playing a slam to going to the wrong train station in Romania and nearly missing signing for qualities by myself. <laughs> that all that all happened within six months. I didn't know it would be quite so difficult. As I said, the junior tour, you get everything paid for, you have a traveling coach with you, you, you know, you live a good life and then uh by the way, you're going to you're going to Norway by yourself. Where's the destination? I'll look on the fact sheet. <laughs> okay um and a men's tennis yeah it's, it's futures level it's, it's difficult there's just more good players you can't get away with you can't get away with playing loose games mm-hmm. that's it it's not like oh it was such a jump up from juniors to seniors it was no you can't get away with with little things but those little things in a match in tennis is huge right five percent one way is huge. the difference between winning six four six four or losing six four six four but yeah, I, I, I probably thought it would be a bit easier than it was because while I was still a junior, I qualified and made final. It was my first Futures event with the LTA and I, I didn't make another final till I was 23, 24. So hmm. I thought, you know, it would be easy. I made a few semis, but it's a very difficult transition. But I feel like if I was going to work with a young player now, I'd have them prepared. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure. Man. I'd have them not just playing junior tournaments, playing a few Futures here or there abroad. Mm. Because in the UK, it's pretty. You're in your comfort zone, pretty much. Yeah, 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 for sure. It's interesting. Um, so I feel like I'll be good for juniors mm-hmm. who, who want to learn about the transition. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And uh, you know, we'll talk a bit more about. Uh, but you know, you you have a lot of experience teaching as well, uh, teaching tennis. Uh, I'm I'm curious. You know, you mentioned, uh, and the tour is like so difficult. But but you you mentioned that you had made that final, and then there had been uh, you know a few years since the next one. I mean, what do you think? Kind of, why do you think that was? Like, were there? I don't know. Was did did the grind kind of get to you, or was it just an influx of more players, or or? What was it you think? I was pretty I was pretty sensitive, so I went for the LTA for a year. I lost my lost my funding. I didn't mm. lose my funding, I still have funding, but I lost my place at the LTA mm. because they, they didn't think I was serious enough now. I was the second highest ranked out of the eight people in, in the group and I had the second best fitness test scores. Wow. But it was a case of it was a case of people thinking I wasn't serious and then and that, that peed me off and I probably buried my head in the sand a bit. Mm-hmm. I actually worked hard at Sutton but I thought I'd never had like a social life, really. I didn't go to my prom after party. I didn't. I sacrificed a lot, and yeah. And I think at the age of twenty-two, twenty-three, when I'm living by myself, I thought, you know what? I'm going to go out a bit. I'm going to live like a normal person off the court. Sure. I always had talent. I always got good results from a futures level, but I was very alone. I didn't have a traveling coach. I was everything I did was me, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's pretty impossible to do alone when you're 22 20 21 22 years old yeah as a young man with my personality which plenty of people have 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't realize the importance of surrounding myself with people who bring the best out of me. Mm-hmm. And I kept myself in the game. I wasn't awful. I wasn't out doing drugs and stuff, but like, <laughs> um, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd some, some, but all of us, like the, the Brits are, Brits are quite <laughs> famous for it. Like four, four of us went out to Oceana. We got the night bus after a day training and we get back at 4am and we're up at seven for training. <laughs> and okay. We turned up and we did it, but like, you're not giving a hundred percent then, are you? Right. But when you're 22 and young and carefree, it's like, ah, I'll be fine. Got a tournament next week. It's all good. Yeah, yeah. So it's lack of professionalism. That's my personality. And it's also being alone. Um, I lived a pretty lonely life um, from 21 to 24, 25. And it wasn't until 23 years old where I found my coach who took me to Wimbledon. Where actually, no, after a day of training, I couldn't think of anything worse than going out because I couldn't walk. <laughs> um I put the training in very, very hard. And okay, yeah, occasionally I'd whatever, have a few beers with friends or at the club. I'll have the occasional night out. It wasn't like a, a regular occurrence. I was working pretty hard. And that's when the, I got my form back. The results came back. Yeah, Marcus, uh, great stuff. You know, I, I saw a quote, uh, I think, in an ATP article. And I'll just read it and then ask you about it, obviously. But the quote is, I was overweight. I was drinking pints. I was just a loser. I looked at myself in the mirror and thought that I'm better than this. I've been behind the scenes working very hard, ridiculous times in the morning, ran myself into the ground, but it's worth it now. So I was wondering if you could talk about, you know, kind of in detail what you did in, in terms of the fitness, like what times in the morning did you work out? What types of workouts did you do? And I assume this was kind of, uh, you know, a little bit before uh, Wimbledon or maybe a couple of years back, because uh, I saw a picture of you in 2014 versus 2016. And it, uh, to me, it was a world of difference, you know, so I was curious if you could give us some mm. detail into the training of that period it was so gradual it was more mindset i got myself in better habits mm. uh, i wasn't going out so much mm-hmm. um so obviously the calories you consume from alcohol and, and food um i was playing squash with friends instead of going out to bars with friends i was nice happier in myself as well more relaxed um definitely mental for me mm-hmm. getting yourself in good habits and obviously, I was training very, very hard with with my coach. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah. Uh, what hours was I training? Not that early. Sometimes eight a.m. in the morning, but I had to take a train for an hour and a half. <laughs> so I was staying at home and getting the train into Surbiton every morning, then walk from the station to the club, then train, then do an afternoon gym session, then go back home again. So the days were very long. Like I'm up at I'm up at like five five thirty and getting back at seven eight p.m. Um, sometimes later. So it was tough. I remember, I remember getting back during a training block, and my mum had made these cookies for <laughs> just for the house people would have. And I remember thinking, oh, I was almost, I was so tired. I was cramping in my car, uh-huh. and I was like, man, this sucks. This <laughs> completely sucks. But as I said, it's worth it. I, I, I pushed myself. I, my coach said to me, "You got to make sure that no one works harder than you today. Maybe they can match your intensity, but I can hand on heart say that I worked harder than." anyone else there's no way anyone worked harder than me those few years no way yeah i mean that gives um, you and that that's that's why it happened in the end i got unlucky i didn't you know i was 300 in the world and, and i didn't get wild cards into quality so not that you deserve them but other players well i didn't get the luck 
Mm-hmm. Um, and when I did, I didn't play well. Um, I was losing six and a third in Chelsea. Like, it didn't just click. And then everything came together for that tournament in 2016. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, I feel like I deserve. I feel like I deserve that. Yeah, it certainly sounds like you did. I mean, running yourself into the ground and working so hard. You know, there's a saying in a, a club nearby, which actually, uh, you know, Dennis Kudla and uh, Francis Tiafoe, they train at JTCC, uh, or at least they used to. Um, but the slogan is "Trust your training," and so if if you're able to really train so hard that you know basically that nobody else is working as hard as you, then you can trust your training, and that gives you a lot of confidence to uh, to produce. And that's exactly what you did. So, uh, natural, yeah. Pro- yeah. So, I mean, uh, natural progression to uh, just uh, incredible, you know, run, amazing um, that you that you deserved. So, kind of walk us through. Like, I know at first you you had to go through Wimbledon pre qualifying, and so I guess was there like a last minute withdrawal for that tournament that enabled you to get into that? Yeah. So one guy who actually was going to focus on his doubles after that. Didn't make his flight back from Turkey in time, so he bothered. He didn't bother signing in. Mm. I only found this out after when I rang up and asked what time I was playing. I didn't expect. I was seven seventy in the world, and normally the cut was around a thousand. Mm. And so, so Richard Joyner said, "Marcus, you were last in." I was like, "What?" <laughs> and he said, "Yeah, yeah." But about an hour before, he said, "It's looking close," and I was like, "Oh, what?" But I, I never thought I wouldn't get in. Mm. And then when you when the stars align like that, you just she's that was lucky. So I got last in. I was actually coaching some like six-year-olds at the the local tennis club to me that day before I signed in. So I had to go down to London that night and uh, stay at a friend's flat. <laughs> and I hadn't hit a ball on grass. I just played Germany the week before on the clay. So uh. I I was playing tennis, but you know, I was happy. I was relaxed. I stepped onto the grass. We got a 10-minute warm-up and then I pre-qualified. <laughs> um, played three guys Bambridge O'Mara and then Joe Salisbury mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's who I beat to pre-qualify so pretty good tennis player especially on rough um, yeah and then I was over the moon when I pre-qualified because I, I thought I was done you know I was, I was looking at jobs in Philadelphia uh-huh. the year before because uh-huh. I yeah it's, it's, a, it's a dream of mine to move to America I'll do it one day but I was going to do it then and then obviously I was always planning on signing in because it's Wimbledon Sure. Um, and then, yeah, after I after I beat Salisbury, I was quite emotional actually. I sat there in the chair like, "Whoa, I've got another Wimbledon qualies." Um, but never in a million years was I thinking about qualifying. Like, uh, we the night before qualies, I went to Coldplay with my family and hmm. Coldplay concert at Wembley. Had a few pims, <laughs> just super chilled. Like, wanted to win, but happy, just happy to be there. Yeah. I don't believe, like, I'm not going to sit there and be all inspirational and go, no, I wanted to fight for every point or win, qualify and win Wimbledon. I wasn't thinking that. Mm. I was time. thinking, oh, let's see the draw and I'll try and win that match. Yes. And I'll try and win the first point in that match and the second and the third. And that that's how I qualify for Wimbledon. Mm. If I had all these massive, stupid goals, there's no way I would have become probably, yeah, I would have, yeah, I, there's no chance I would have. Um, done what I did, had my mindset not been focused on on the now. 100%. I mean, that's where a lot of people go wrong. You know, they're thinking about winning uh, like a much bigger 
goal sometimes. Well, you know, they're focused on winning instead of like what you said, you're focused on like winning the next point and the next point and the next point. That's how you, you build up without, you know, your, your mind going crazy uh, and getting nervous and whatnot, even though nerves are, are natural, uh, but I'm sure they fade away for hmm. you, you know, a little bit after the match. They're starts. good. I mean, nerves, nerves are good. Yeah. Nerves are good, uh, but not to the point where, for me, it's if I if I have expectation in myself or if people around me expect things, that's when I don't do well. Yeah, yeah. I I just train very hard, and oh, you're almost playing an autopilot. You're doing, you've trained so many hours a certain way. You don't think too much. You go out there and play your game. That that was it. Yeah, yeah exactly. I trusted, as as you say, I trusted my training. Mm-hmm. Um, and things clicked. And a couple of times I played Wimbledon quality before I had some awful matches. Yeah. I made second round when I was 18 qualies, beat Amir Delic, who was hmm. made third round of Aussie, Aussie that year. And the next round I played horribly against Stoppini. Hmm. Then I played Wimby qualies a few years later and I, I couldn't hit over a forehand. I'd just become, someone said to me, oh, that's like the easiest draw you've got. The guy hates graft and I couldn't play. I lost three and three hmm. because I was thinking and getting consumed by 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 crappy little comments around me yeah yeah that's huge that just underscores how important the mental mindset is you know so it's it's very interesting you know because you you go from pre-qualifying still great players but then you you know you play qualifying you win that and you well i'll kind of hold off on the story but i'm curious about like the different levels let's say between pre-qualifying and qualifying players like how much difference is there really in between those players games and how much did you have to raise your level of play or strategies or anything like that well my first round college i was six one down in 17 minutes yeah (laughs) so uh it was a bit of a shock but i do think that when you play better people you up your game Mm. but yeah the standard is is, it's a massive difference Mm. i mean the guys are being good players and they're all doing very well in doubles now but you know, they're winnable matches. It wasn't like a huge shock when I beat them. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the way they play. Like, you're always going to get chances. That, I don't know. That it's it's all about time with tennis. Like, they'll, they'll the better players don't double fall at 30 or they take mm-hmm. the ball half a step earlier. They put the ball uh, an inch close to the baseline than someone else does. Mm. Um, it's not like, if, if you're watching them hit, you wouldn't go, oh, he's better than him. Mm. But over the course of an hour and a half tennis match, it's just the little things. But you can really feel the pressure when you're playing better players. Mm-hmm. So, so the- um, mm-hmm. and it is a, it's a big step up. It's more than junior to futures, I'd say, from pre qualies to qualies. Mm. Huge difference from qualies to main. If you get a seed in the main draw, it's tough. But like guys that are or ninety in the world are obviously aren't much better than guys one ten in qualies. Right. Um, qualifying actually the two. The three matches I played in qualifying were tougher than my first round. Mm. Even though Barankas so was top I, 60. It was 54, but I just beat Rublev and Medvedev. Yeah. <laughs> pretty nice wins. Um, pretty nice wins. Like, they, they were better players, mm. even then. Mm. Um, so when you beat two guys that good and you keep your level high, it was kind of a step down. But mm. I managed my, my nurse really well against Barankas. Mm. Like I got myself in some some sticky situations, I got out of them well. Yeah. It was all about holding my nerve and hitting my spots and playing my way because I was playing that well. I, I sound arrogant saying it now, but I, this is my this is how I was playing. I was just beating those two guys. So Barankas, yeah, winnable. Sure, sure, winnable. 
Now, nowadays, like, forget it. But right then, in that moment, you've got to you've got to accept whatever moment you're in and and mentally prepare for your, for your next match. Yeah, yeah, hundred um, percent. Yeah. So, so yeah. you were basically like you mentioned how there were these little things, you know, maybe hitting the ball a little bit deeper, the half step. So, like, I guess once you started playing those players in the qualifying rounds, then you basically kind of realized you had to do that as well. So then you just kind of automatically had that gear there because of your your training, I guess, and that's how you're able to match them and even you know exceed. Is that it? Yeah. Another another thing my coach said was was train above match intensity. So when you come mm-hmm. to a match, it's not too much for you. So we were we were taking the ball. We were doing some ridiculous tempo drills. Um, three minutes on cross court, one hundred percent intensity sprint, and then come back. We were doing some ridiculous things. <laughs> but actually, when in in a match, I was never like at the backs like struggling for breath or running out of ideas or or being blown off the court because. Uh, you know, sometimes I'm playing with two guys who are running me side to side and double score. Yeah. It, it, was, ne- it was never a case that if someone was going to beat me, they'd be better at tennis than me. They'd be more skillful, or dictate a bit better or take their chances on that day. I wasn't going to lose through lack of fitness or temper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. And so it's very interesting. Um, you know, I mean, Rublev and, and you said, was it Medvedev you said? Medvedev, I yeah. think to qualify him for, yeah. 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 So those players, I mean, I, th- I mean, especially now anyways, they hit super hard and, and, and seems like flat as well. And probably back then, but I was curious, like how, what was the, the game plan for them? Cause I, I know like from watching some of your matches, it, it seems like you have quite a dynamic game and great hands. And, you know, sometimes you'll surprise them with, with certain shot drop shots and what whatnot. So what was your plan? Like what, what worked for you against that style of big hitter? I was serving very well. Uh-huh. I was vo- I was volleying very well. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I was very simple in my head was keep holding, vary your serve, hit your spots, um, vary serve volleying. Don't come in all the time. Don't give them any patterns on my service game. Mm-hmm. And all there, especially Rublev, was try and get the ball in play on on, on the serve. Hang in there and, and, and see what I can do. Especially at the start, you want to keep as many balls in play as you can so you can see what patterns they're going to play. Mm. So it was very simple in my head. And as the match goes on, yeah, you read them a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, by the end of the Riblev match, I had him serve Oli. <laughs> like he was really, he was really, um, Medvedev different. I was 5 1 down. Um, I actually lost the first set 6 3. But I was 5 1 down. I really had to reevaluate what was going on. Yeah. Like I stopped surf volleying so much, I wasn't playing in the corners. I had to really, I didn't play very pretty tennis to win that one, mm. but I had to. Yeah, got to do what you got to do. So you I were down 5-1 in the down, first? Down the middle. 5-1 mm. in the first, and then I had 5-3 break point. Mm. He ended up holding, but yeah, I, I, I somehow managed to stick in that because he was just putting balls past me, angles, uh, return winners, serving bombs. Yeah. Um. I I I remember thinking like ah oh, last round college this sucks. Imagine getting your ass kicked last round college. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it, and then happen. something yeah, but and by the end by the end I was actually so in control I was serving for the match at five two in the fourth. Like I felt like I couldn't lose points whereas two hours before I was yeah he he was he was super good. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. I mean, this... not just not just power and tempo, but like the angles he'd come up with, 
his reach, his accuracy. I was, I was blown away by the first few games there. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Well, um, yeah. But luckily he was a bit more fragile when I played him than he is now. Still an amazing um, win. Um, yeah, yeah, great. Yeah. I mean, I played great. Played really well because he, to get to the last round, he was winning like 6-2, 6-2, 6-1, He was chopping good players. So <laughs> the next year, I think he beat Stan first round. Yeah. Well, second round. So I think he was, he was good. That was a hell of a win. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome stuff. And so, um, just want to talk a bit more about the win against Barankis, uh, before we go to, to play, you know, playing Roger, which is, uh, amazing, uh, with Barankis. So how did you deal with the pressure? Was the pressure like any different? I mean, it wasn't. Okay. Okay. So you were just basically I one at a time. Like I, I was, mm-hmm. I was happy and like, I wanted to go and get stuck into the match in my head. Mm. Obviously I'm quite pessimistic. I thought I was like, I want to make a match of this. I don't. I can beat him, of course I can, but I don't want to, you know, I don't want to turn up at Wimbledon and lose one, two and one. Right. <laughs> because I played him when he was, when I was 14, I lost two and oh, like oh. in super quick time. He he was a hell of a junior. So, and yeah, so for me, it was like, I'd, I'd always, when I was about to quit and go to America, I was, I was really upset that I never got to play men's Wimbledon. Because mm. actually I, I would go off topic here a bit, a few years before when I was with the LTA. Um, we lost in qualies, me and my partner, but we got in as a lucky loser. But I was told to go to Norway and play this tournament, even though I said, look, I want to rest. I want to chill out this week. They were like, no, no, you're going to go to Norway. And I got a call in Norway um, from a, from the referee's office saying, Marcus, you got in. Wow. My partner was in, my partner was in London. Uh, man. And so I, my heart sunk. I was like, well, what? I would have played men's doubles at Wimbledon, but still playing at Wimbledon, main draw, you know? Man. Um, so when I'm playing Barankis, I'm buzzing to be there. Yeah. Absolutely buzzing. Yeah. yeah. Like the happiest man in the building. <laughs> yeah. Icing on the cake. Yeah. Um, so well, as I, I had my coach there, I called him up saying look, I qualify for Wimbledon because I wasn't playing at the time. So he was up in Huddersfield with a new job. Oh. I was like, do you want to be my coach for Wimby? He was like, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I, th- I think he was at Wimbledon before I was. Um, yeah but yeah so he obviously prepared me for my match mm-hmm. and then i had a plan and then i went and won yeah well so, yeah as i said I, I gave myself the best chance yeah well if you remember what was that plan just curious again very simple with me and my surf uh-huh um with him god you're taking me back now <laughs> there's only two or three things that i think my coach said he likes to when he runs around his Backhand, he likes to go inside, inside out, and then inside in. It's like pattern. Ah, interesting. Um, he says, yeah, he gets a bit tight sometimes on his second serve. Hits the ball very flat. Backhand better than forehand. Mm. Blah, 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 blah. Stuff like that. But it was more about he hit with me before my match. It was a physical preparation. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Um, but yeah, if you give me too many instructions, my, my head explodes. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that, you're not alone. I, I think that's a big thing too, you know, as you know with coaching as well, when you're coaching people, uh, players, and you give them like too many things and they it's better to just focus on a couple of things. So uh, smart, smart of your coach. So, uh, yes, obviously we want to get into uh, the, the match that you played uh, second round, uh, Wimbledon 2016 with, against Roger Federer. Uh, I mean, what, what were your emotions uh before the match and then how did you try to you know maybe uh if, if you felt like you needed to to kind of calm calm yourself and whatnot to get ready 
Like, honestly, I was in such a good headspace that all I thought was, oh, it's pretty cool. You get to play Federer. I was excited to play on centre court and I knew it would be a big match, but I was like, oh, it's pretty cool. Um, what am I going to do? Hmm. What am I going to do? Like, how am I going to win? Nice. I got out there. I think I won like 21, 22 points in the first set, but lost six love. So I just got a bit carried away on the big point, which is what Roger makes you do because he takes the ball so early. So you, you feel like you have to do something special. When I, when I got down and relaxed, it was actually a pretty good match. Yeah, I mean, I was a, a point away from serving for the third set, I believe. Great point at 4-3 in the third. So, yeah, I was giving him a match. Yeah, for sure. Performance, but, but in my head, no, it was like, oh, this is cool. <laughs> Whereas if you think about it from the outside, if, you, if you're watching on telly or watching, if I was watching a friend, I'd be like, whoa, this is mad. <laughs> yeah. But me at the time, I was okay. I was all right. Nice. And I'm glad I was actually, because uh, yeah, you don't want to be a rabbit in headlights out there. Yeah. No, hundred percent. Um, what was similarly, what was the game plan of like one to three things that you were wanted to do against Roger? Well, in his first round against Guido Peller, he looked like he was struggling to get short and low to his backhand. It looked like he had a bit of a back problem. Mm. So it's <laughs> it, this is war, right? So I was going to target yeah. that keep the ball low to his backhand side. Uh, but apparently he had like an injection <laughs> <laughs> the night before the match and like uh, he was just stepping in and crunching. <laughs> oh man. So that was the plan as well as look after my serve. But, but I was, I was in a bit of pain actually in the third set of the Barankis match. Um, this is why I lost by the way, guys. In the <laughs> yeah. third set of the Barankis match, I felt my, my ab go a little bit. So I served, although I served nine aces, like I was in quite a bit of pain. Uh. And then the adrenaline kicked in and I was fine. Mm-hmm. But I remember in the warm-up, I didn't hit a serve over the net. I was really struggling to get up. And I had uh, some ibuprofen, some like heat gel on it. But yeah, it was, it was tough. <laughs> and then when, when you're getting, when you're getting um, serviced like that on centre court, you, you find a way to, to get going. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so, so once, um, you know, once, uh, Roger, he adjusts, well, I guess he had the shot, right. And then he was hitting, you know, these great blow backhands. Then what did you end up, uh, doing kind of instead to try to, to win and you made it a competitive match? Um, very, very much vary the serve. Uh huh. Mostly more often than not serve volley mm-hmm. because when I was staying back, he, what I didn't realize about him was how solid he was. Mm. People think Roger Federer flashy angles through the leg tweeners. <laughs> he did none of that. He kept the ball close to the baseline. He was measured. He dictated the point. He didn't go for anything too crazy at mm. all. And I was blown away with that, actually. I had a lot more balls in the court than I thought I was. Just just in. Nothing special, deep, early. I was expecting, you know, to like look one way and him hit a win or the other. Uh, but it wasn't like that. I don't think he needed to, but but actually he's unbelievably solid. And when I didn't serve volley, he was very good at putting the ball deep in the middle of the court and slow, and then yeah. standing just to the right as I'm looking of the centre baseline, just creeping, looking for that forehand. Uh, so your options are either go down the line here, try to go for a winner, or if I don't get it cross court or deep enough, he's going to have me on a piece of string. And I didn't like that feeling. So when I surf Ollie, he's blocking. Okay, he's going to put some good returns in. But that's my best chance of, of winning most of the points. As soon as he's neutral in a rally, it, it's obviously his favorite to win the point. Yeah. Um, so I just, I just kept trying to make the first hit or even bring him to the net. 
I wanted to play the match as much as possible on my term. Um, so if Roger's coming in on his terms, yeah, no one wins. No one wins anyway, but <laughs> I brought him in a couple of times when he didn't want to be brought in and had a bit of success from that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, whatever I tried, unless I'm, um, I needed him to have a, a, a very bad day and me to have a slightly better day. Yeah. And, and it, and it can happen. Sure. But, but odds are it's not going <laughs> to, so there we go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they sh- and they shut the and they shut the damn roof, so that that didn't give me any any more of a chance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate. So, wait, was it? Did it start raining a bit, or it was forecast for rain? I think it did rain. Okay. But when they told me that, I was like, okay, yeah, no worries. Yep, yep, all good. <laughs> but looking back, I mean, I remember the final against Murray. He played when that roof shut. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when you when you play when you when you the ideal scenario to play one. Uh, Roger is, it's a little bit of wind flying around the sun up there. Right. A few, a few things to to level it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. When when you put a roof over, no wind and indoor tennis, Roger. I, I, yeah, I wouldn't back anyone to to win there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, I, I, it was just an amazing moment, and uh, you know, it was very cool that he was. You know, it looked like he was gracious and let you have your. Uh, time. I was wondering if did you do you all exchange any particular like words? I guess uh, as well that you think might be interesting and you could divulge. No, he was super friendly like the, the day before the match um, and the day after. And I met him last year at Wimbledon. He was super friendly. Like, hey, Marcus, how are you? Like, he's super super nice guy off the court. Um, but the minute like when I saw him warming up before the match and on the court, he's he's got a switch to him, right? Like, he wants mm. to kill you. Mm. That's what you gotta do. He wants to kill you, but 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 with class. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> graciously kill me, just carve me apart nicely. I will, I will destroy you, good sir. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the things I was most surprised about him was yeah his solidity and um, how much of a warrior he was when he got to court. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, what 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 words did we say at the end? Just the normal pleasantries, I think. Yeah. I think I was like, yeah, well done, good luck. Yeah. And he was like, fantastic run, whatever. Uh, nothing uh, nothing out of the usual. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, but yeah, well, lovely guy. Good. Good to hear that. Uh, yeah, it definitely seems like it. So it's good to get confirmation. Um, but yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed hearing how you mentioned, you know, even one of the top players in the, in the world and of all time, he's not, he didn't do anything special in that particular match. And I guess in a lot of matches, you know, just the you know deep balls and, and sending a bit, I guess, to the left, looking for the forehand, those basic types of things. So uh, it's, it's kind of something that people can carry from, from uh, what he did, uh, as well as, you know, the great things that, that you did. So I think uh, what's really impressive is, um, you know, you returned to uh, Wimbledon the next year and you had some really great success too. Uh, you know, kind of maybe walk us through what it was like to, again, you know, get to qualify. I, I know we're touching, you know, it's a little bit tough, uh, some of this story, but like basically getting back to Wimbledon, playing qualifying and, you know, in, in many people's estimation, doing very well, uh, you know, in, in that, uh, in the qualifying and then also in doubles. So kind of walk through what it was like to, to return again and, and still put out, you know, a great performance. Yeah, it was good. As you said, it's a little bit bittersweet for me now because right. I made last round qualies. I lost right. The, my second round qualies against Brody. It was quite late. It had been raining a bit, and I, I won the first set. 
and I remember Empire saying it's getting dark now. I'm struggling to see, and it's getting wet mm. under. This is after I've won the set, so I'm not looking to get off. For no right. reason. <laughs> if anything, if anything, it's going to hinder my progress, right, or help Liam, right. So I've said, look, it's getting a bit damp. The ref comes on. No, 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 no. Anyway, in the third set, I, I think I was five two up. I fall. I, I slip mm. on the grass and smash my knee. Mm. I ended up holding out for adrenaline, but. I went to the physios after. The next day I got out of bed and I couldn't push off one leg. Yeah. Like it, he's just gone. And I played my Shenko dope top. I didn't hit in the morning. I had painkillers. Mm. Um, I could only serve. Like, obviously, very good player. I don't think I would, might not have won, but I was so peed off. I was sat in the chair after and they're like, can you come and do press? And I was like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not leaving. No, I was so, so angry. And I remember saying to my agent at the time, like, I shouldn't have played. Like, this happened. I, I saw it coming. I've fallen over. I've hurt my leg. This is the, this is the attitude to qualifying in tournaments. So I just went out of the way. And he was like, buddy, you've got to work on the doubles. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wimbledon's my favorite tournament. It's not Wimbledon. I love, I love Wimbledon. I was just very bitter and very disappointed. Right. At the time. So I did the interview like, like this. <laughs> a bit of teeth. Nice smile. Yeah. <laughs> And then, yeah, I, I, I had my leg taped up because I went to see someone over the weekend. They were like, look, it's your decision. It's Wimbledon, but it's not looking good. Like, you shouldn't really be playing. And I was like, well, I'm playing. So I've got, um, I've basically got my one leg in a cast every day. Uh, but I'm serving absolute rockets. I didn't lose my serve in the first two matches, mainly because of my partner. But uh, Ridiculous run. Yeah, so we're two sets down in the first round, got through that. Bit nervy start. And then we play Heather Mahu, and we're thinking, oh dear. <laughs> like, These guys are good. This is only the second tournament I've played with Jay. We did pretty well the week before, but like, <laughs> it's a pretty scratch pairing. And yeah. it ended up losing the first. And then Herbert played like one of the worst service games I've ever seen in my life. Hmm. Like, one missed volley and three doubles on the baseline. Wow. And then Mahu did the, then Mahu did the same. So we're 5 1 up. <laughs> We've won the second set 6 1 in no time. We're set all with these guys. And then all of a sudden, we just started playing unbelievable. <laughs> like, we were in the third in a tie break. Like, they've called a double fault for Jay on their set point to go 7-5, and I've challenged it, and it's in. He's then hit an ace. <laughs> like, we've played a great tie break, and then we're 5-4, love 40 in the fourth. And uh, I think Jay missed a return, and then I've hit a return that lands before the net twice, and then we lost the fourth set, like 7-5, like that. And we're like, oh gone to the toilet with jay saying no no we need to win this we need to yeah. win. <laughs> and then luckily we, we played a really good game to break and we just held wow all the way to the end but this is middle saturday this is my parents were a bit bummed because they missed a u2 concert and they love you too <laughs> but they said like it's well worth it man like yeah, i just thought imagine if imagine if we lost in five from having those three match points yeah but that'd be that would be like and they missed u2 concert that would be rubbish um, <laughs> yeah. but it was middle saturday all, all the drunk drunk people were coming in and it was like a davis cup atmosphere there was chanting cool court three my favorite court like it was just just bliss like i came off after that match like so elated it was like a feeling like the year before after i beat barankis like it was yeah. just just i felt on top of the world it was amazing yeah yeah it's just that's ridiculous but so unexpected we ended up losing to the fi eventual finalists like three four and six they were just better than us but yeah, made, made second week of Wimbledon, made, made last 16 of the double. Yeah, pretty good, um, man. 
and 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 had I had I mouthed off in an interview, I probably wouldn't have been there. <laughs> yeah. So it's been... good. It's it's good to keep your mouth shut sometimes, guys. Sure is. Yeah, I just kind of pause yeah. and think about the ramifications. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's amazing, though. I mean, you you know you had that knee injury, and then I guess you know it. You just kept it kind of isolated like and half, gradually. It was like halfway up. Uh. It was just below my knee, like halfway up my shin. Mm. I think I think it's on. You can see it online. My fall. Mm. I've slipped the. It, it, it was wet. It was wet out there. It was. Yeah. I don't think we should have been playing anyway. <laughs> um, my knee's gone the wrong way and hit the ground in the middle as I'm trying to change direction. Yeah. Luckily, it got much um, better. Obviously. I wouldn't have been able to play singles. Let's put it that way. Okay. Okay. Wow. <laughs> it was painful, like really painful. Um, but as I said, took painkillers, had treatment, and it was taped up pretty heavily. So, yeah, I wasn't moving into the net as quickly as I wanted, but we were serving eye formation. I was serving mm. bombs and mm. on returns and doubles. You can guess a bit. You don't have to really run. So, yeah, it, it, it might have even helped me in the end, like guess aside and, and swing. Mm. So. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Curious I should, about, I should be grateful, if anything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, things happen for a reason. Um, that's interesting. Yeah. With, with the I formation, uh, I'm curious to ask you the strategy question. Uh, how do you? How does the person at the net in the I formation? Uh, how do you decide which side to call the you guys to move? Like, what's the thought process? Very simple. So the guy at the net calls it. Okay. He'll put his fing- his finger out. He'll point uh-huh. in one direction. And you just say you just say yes or no. Okay. And then he'll show you where he's going after yeah. that. Yeah. But I, so my job, my job is to serve one way and move one way, and he yeah. covers the rest. Yeah. I'm just wondering though, like, what? Do you have any tips on, like, what side? Like, say you're the net player and you're like, okay, I have to pick which side. Like, what's like, what do you usually think about when you decide on the side, or is it just like totally random? Well, the net player, as a net player, you want the volley. Yeah. Uh-huh. Or you want them to give it, give them the toughest return. So there's something called um, the natural body swing, the natural body shape. Uh, so if a one-hander's backhand will hit across themselves, that's uh, the easiest shot, right? Uh, and same with a four-hander. It's easy to hit across. So if you serve to someone, a right-hander on the ad side, if you serve to their body backhand, the net player will more often than not go left mm. because that's the, name, the way they're naturally going to swing. They've got to hit this return, fade it down the line. If you get the serve right, that's quite a hard return to master. Yeah. And and the net player is covering the middle as well. Yeah. Um. So so you've got to think. Yeah. If they're swinging across their forehand, but yeah, the natural body swing is, yeah, across your body. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thanks for that. That's that's really. So uh, if if you, if you cover that as a net player, you, you're going to be pretty successful. But there'll be some players that have really good down the line returns. So you've yeah. got to work it out as it, as you go along as well. Yeah, I think that's going to be very rare, especially for you know a lot of the people listening three five to four five, a few five O's. Um, so that yeah, the, the natural body swing is a great concept. Really appreciate you uh, letting me know about that. So uh, yeah, and I mean, just gotta say it. I I don't think you mentioned, but Mahout and Herber uh, Herbe, I forgot how to pronounce it, but uh, they they were the defending champs, right? Like they won Wimbledon the previous year, and then you beat champs. them. Yeah, it's sick. That's really sick. Yeah, they were they were they were they they didn't lose much at that time. Yeah. Like it was, it was a huge shock to me. Like the guy I was staying with at the time said, like there was probably more chance of me beating Federer than us beating those guys. <laughs> wow, that's because yeah, but I mean those guys were they didn't really lose. I think they won quite a few slams and like yeah, me and Jay's second tournament like with <laughs> you know British wildcards. 
Um, not played doubles together before. I was ranked 800 in the world doubles at that time. Yeah, and he beat the number, whatever it was, three, three and four, or I think something. Was, yeah, 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 I think yeah, they were yeah, they were third seeds, I, I believe, or yeah. second seeds. Yeah, yeah, second seeds. Yeah, hmm. we were right at the bottom. Wow, that's that's amazing. Um, curious, did you receive as much press as you did for the Federer, you know, the previous year, like with it for the doubles run? No, like even in the roundup for Wimbledon, we didn't even get like it was like a apparently a thirty second highlight of uh, Marcus and J one and double. <laughs> yeah, like it's just not. Well, for me, I was like, oh, okay, like. <laughs> but also to make third round Wimbledon doubles, I got I got more money for losing and qualifying. I got more money for losing last round quali singles and making last 16 doubles. Is that after splitting or before? Uh, no, so what did I get? I think we got £13,000 each mm. for doubles. Wow. And singles, I got 16, 16k for last round. Wow. And I find that, I find that incredible. Yeah. I find it much easier to make last round qualies than third round doubles or last 16 doubles because you've got to beat a, a top team to make last 16. Yeah, oh, that's, that's but, but that's me personally. Like it in qualies, you can be I beat Andre Martin and Brody, good players, but at the time they were both late ones, early two. Mm-hmm. So on grass, that's achievable. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Uh, beating Heber Mahu, I think that's a one in ten, one in twenty. Mm. Depends how inspired me and Jay get. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe put a bet down or something. Yeah, I mean, do you think that's possible, or it's possible to change? that and like redistribute for doubles or is that not going to happen do you think i mean it's still a pretty you get to play at Wimbledon, you get 13k like yes i think you get 5k to turn up it's not it's not bad it's not a bad life right you're just never going to become a millionaire unless you're the bryant like but i think i don't think guys are playing for money they're paying they get a nice life um and the potential to to win a slam or let the o2 or I don't think I do it for that. Um, but yeah, the, I don't don't see the money ever changing because I guess we're getting 13K each, me and Jay, so that's 26 grand that Wimbledon are losing mm-hmm. or paying us. Mm-hmm. Whereas singles are just paying one person. Right. So just, just, just on the nature of you've got two guys to pay, yeah, that's you're going to get less money. Yeah, yeah. It's tough. Yeah. Uh, and, and also it's not for what... It, I find it interesting to watch, but it's not as watched as singles most of the time, right? For whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah. That was like, I mean, if you ask the, the average tennis fan named 10 pairs playing right now. No, it's tough. I, I don't think a lot of them would name more than four or five. Yeah. Whereas singles players, you go bang, 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 bang. Yeah. Yeah. Totally um, it's just not as... Also, the courts you play on, like you, you don't get to send or court one until the final semi. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's just yeah, it's just the way it is. Yeah. I wouldn't know how to change it, but but I wish I wish yeah the dubs guys did get a bit more. But yeah, you know, like when someone says to me, "Oh, there should be more prize money at futures level," yeah, I think the level should, but but how how are we going to get more money? There's no one watching. There's yeah. So what? What, you can't just magic money. You can't just magic money from nowhere and give them to people because they, because they deserve it, right? Um, do. So I don't have a, I don't have a helpful answer for you. Yeah, no, no worries. <laughs> I mean, it's like I don't know what else besides redistributing, you know, money from somewhere else, other tournaments or something. But 
Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. The cut's very much at, at the top, but yeah, I'd, I'd I'd like it filtered through a bit more. But and I, I I think even the top guys are thinking that. But I think the the guys that are being paid very well are making a lot of money for the sport. Mm-hmm. Whereas guys six hundred in the world aren't making any money for tennis or the ITF tour or ATP tour. So it's the way of the world, isn't it? It's, it's tough, yeah. but it's the way it is. Yeah, it's like we're just got to try and try and get up there and play the big tournaments and beat these guys. Yeah, yeah. Like whoever's good luck. Good luck to you. Yeah, good <laughs> luck. No, no, for for me, I had to do it. I had to pre-qualify, qualified, and I got my paycheck and got to play at Wimbledon. But nothing comes easy. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I had to break even. I had sponsors. All my, you know, I had a couple of sponsors that helped me out when I was young. I wouldn't have been able to play without them. So it takes some real crafting for for most players. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it seems like it's just, you know, they pay according to how much you, you're bringing into the sport. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a tough situation. I think so, yeah. <laughs> That's how I read it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Marcus, you know, you, you as we touched upon earlier, you, you've taught a lot of players. Uh, I just, uh, I know we've gotten some great tips from you, uh, but I... I I wanted to ask you, in your experience from teaching players, what are maybe one or two of the biggest mistakes that your students ha- have made that you have kind of focused on to, to help them fix their game? Well, I think even now it's it's more mindset. It's hmm. people and players want to want to be feeling good, like rallying. They, they want to hit all these balls and feel great hitting cross court for 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, play points out, out of the hand. Let's play some points out of the hand. Whereas it never happens in tennis. You've got to make sure you serve and your first ball are good or your serving patterns or your return. Like when at pro level, like the point's over within four four shots most of the time, right? Right. And people, people are focusing on eight and, eight, eight and beyond. They're focusing on the 10% of points that happen in a match. They want to, you know, get into rhythm from the back and have long rallies. Whereas, yeah, Djokovic has got a, a very, very good serve and very good return. He doesn't, he doesn't just, you know, rally people out from the back all the time. He's, very very effective his serve and first shot are amazing yeah but people because they they look at highlights from a match you'll see a 30 shot rally and you'll think oh, okay that's what i'm gonna do <laughs> um yeah. it's not it's not really interesting watching aces and unreturnables and serve return winner it's not but that's what tennis is a lot of the time and even now the attitude is are oh, you, you go to tournaments you see people hitting all these Sometimes people not even practicing returns or like, let's just hit a few serves over at the end. I've trained at academies and even the National Tennis Center when I was younger where you're going like three or four days without serving. You're doing technical stuff and movement drills and playing points out of hand. Hold on. Not hit any serves. <laughs> so I think that's still a problem. And, and I was guilty of it as well. You want to feel good from the bat. Right. And that is important to feel good because if you're mental mental state when you're playing a tennis match you want to feel okay but i think far too much emphasis is going on to technique and and you know being able to last 30 shots the same ball without breaking down okay it's important but why don't we focus on the weapon yeah so that we don't have to do those 30 shots all the time (laughs) yeah it'd be nice to avoid those those are those are painful i mean you've got a big engine but you know for most people it's tough yeah but like a a lot of players i mean even even like I love watching Diego Schwartzman play. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, he's, he's a little guy, but he takes the ball so early. Mm-hmm. Like he must be horrible to play against. He's not just running and not missing. Yeah. Like he's he's got weapons. That's why he's good. It's not. He can, of course, he can rally all day 
but he, he just I don't think he particularly like wants to or has to. Yeah. I don't think if you know if he if he wasn't as aggressive. Yeah, that's what I'd say. Just focus on more on your game and making your weapons even better rather than focusing on weaknesses and like you don't see John Isner doing cross country running hours and hitting four hundred <laughs> backhands cross court, right? He's gonna be he's gonna be practicing serves. Yeah. Yeah, Rayonich isn't gonna yeah. Well Schwartzman's not gonna start chip charging. Right. Make make sure your strengths are, uh, are even better. Yeah, but you've got to you've got to put some emphasis on your weaknesses. But if you do, yeah, you've got, that that that's my advice to players. Yeah, that's really good advice. And you know, Rublev isn't going to start serving volleying unless he played you and he gets pissed off. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, don't, I think if I played him now, he he might he might not need to. Yeah. Well, you never know. But, <laughs> but uh, no. it, you know what's really funny? I uh, I went and watched some of your. Uh, uh, matches on youtube and uh i think there was a match against uh Ilya marchenko which you know was a tough one obviously but he he actually commented underneath that video and i and i found out that he has like a youtube channel and he posts like drills and he's actually oh, really he's actually hilarious like I, I don't know i just i was laughing a lot um so i don't know he was fired weird. up that day in my face he was in my face a bit that day he's a nice guy but i was pissed off with him that day sure i could i could I totally think, see that i think i think i was pissed off at the world that day to be honest yeah, it's it's. But no, it's good. It, it's good yeah. having personalities in tennis. I'll I'll check him out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. I'll try to talk to him about it. But um, yeah, yeah, and I, I noticed too. I think it was that match where, like, when you're walking to the net to shake hand, you 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 kind of gave like a little bit of a laugh to to maybe your box or your a friend. Just like you know, I mean, what could you expect, right? I mean, you're injured, you know. Not, no, not not as such. I think he got like super fired up and. A couple of people in the crowd started like cheering when he was missing a bit, and I, I sort of told them not to like calm down. Uh, like it's not a good etiquette. And he, after he won, he sort of went like that oh, like, in gosh. their face. <laughs> and so, no, it's fine. I'd have done the same. Okay. But I just found it like <laughs> I was just I just found it fine. I was like, oh yeah. really? You like this wanker? I would have done exactly the same. <laughs> I, no, I would have done exactly the same thing if if someone was chirping away at me for a while. Sure, sure. I would have probably done exactly the same thing, but I just found it quite amusing. That's all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. It was. It was. If you would have seen what I saw, you would have found it funny. That I was like, (laughs) because I was thinking that's exactly what I would have done, and I'm on the other end of it now, and it's ah, yeah, it's one of those things. But yeah, yeah, no, I I was hurt. I managed to play pretty well. I was just peed off because he's a nightmare for me, Marchenko. I don't think I would have won, but I could have got a set. I could have maybe won. Right. Maybe. Right. Right. Uh, but there was no, there was no chance I was winning that day. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I really, really struggled with my movement. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was hurting to the point of like, it made me angry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No worries. But no, no. He's a, he's a class player. Bad matchup for me. I probably would have lost, but I'd have liked to, at least felt like I had a chance that day. Sure, yeah, like give you, you have the best uh, opportunity, best shape, and all that. But uh, I mean, like we talked mm-hmm. about, you know, amazing doubles runs, pretty sick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, what is it about Wimbledon that really gets you to perform so well? Is it the grass? Like, is it the atmosphere? And like, you know, home country? Is it like everything? Home, or? home crowd, grass, uh, traditional tournament. I've loved it since I was a child. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I I can't. I don't know that. It always brings out the best of me, though. Yeah, awesome man. Awesome. Like I really, yeah, did. Yeah, you feel relaxed and at home and 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 fired up actually. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, 
quite the run, quite the run. So, Marcus, uh, I, I know you you probably have stuff to do and all that, but uh, I have a couple more questions if that's all right. Um, curious about uh, just kind of moving forward. You know, your current goals and aspirations. It looks like you're playing, you know, a lot of a lot of doubles, and uh, you know, I'm seeing you on Instagram posting these stories of of you traveling. So, what what's the current uh, plan for you moving forward? Yeah, it'd be good to play some more doubles tournaments whenever possible. Um, but at the moment, yeah, we can't train in the UK, so it's it's just a case of yeah. trying not to put weight on too much. <laughs> trying to work out when I can um, and waiting to see what happens, really. You can't be too proactive right now. So Yeah. I, yeah, I, to be honest, I don't really know what moving forward what's going to be happening. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a crazy world. Are, are there any particular things that you're working on uh, at this time uh, that you want to improve in order to you know get to the next level and you know make more breakthroughs and so forth? Just my body, keeping my shoulder, elbow, everything supple. Hmm. Um, when I got onto the court, obviously doubles, different games, singles. So yeah, more positioning stuff. Quite quite boring things like where to stand. Um, uh, where to put your first volley, where you stand to serve if you're crossing or doing eye formation. Mm. It's it's a lot of tactical stuff um, rather than hitting loads and loads of balls. Like in singles, you have to hit a lot of balls. You have to serve every other game. In doubles, you've just got to serve every four games and be in the right position. So yeah, um, for me, it's about making making sure like uh, my body's my body's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, you know, you mentioned uh, where to put the first volley. Where do you actually want to put the first volley? Is it like deep and somewhat in the middle, or how to? Where is it usually? No, no you don't. You, if you go down the middle, it gives the opponent a chance oh, yeah, to poach. Right, right. So yeah, you've got to be. Again, you don't want to get them too wide on the angle. Very much depends who you're serving to and where you're going. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, but you want it central in their half of the court. Right. That's right. Yeah. And you don't you don't want to ever give them the same shot twice. So when they hit a forehand, you don't want to give them the same forehand. Mm. That's one of the rules. Prevent the groove, like because pe- people get people get into rhythms and you yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's not always possible, right? So yeah. In the ideal world, you want to hit your serve and, and not come back, or your partner cuts off the volley. So you're just working at being again working on your strengths and being a bit more dynamic. Mm-hmm. Than, than anything else makes sense. completely different ball game to singles yeah for sure do you have any any uh, tips for players on how to develop a better serve um do i have any tips it's a lot of um miss serves are because of the ball placement uh-huh. um i find that if you throw the ball not miles into the court but either directly above your head or a little forward uh-huh. um that gives you some momentum to get your body weight into the court and you can add five, 10 mile an hour just by, mm. just by your ball placement and, and leaping into the ball. Gotcha. You can add more weight to your surf, but yeah, you want to be moving forward on your surf. Like as, as you, you want momentum. Like you, you don't see good players like hitting four hands on the way back. <laughs> yeah. Right. So it's the, it's the same with a surf. You, if you want to get the most out of it, you've got to be moving into the court. Gotcha. Gotcha. But with, with the and weight, you, and you get two serves. Yeah. You get two serves, so your first one. I don't like it when people just like get their serving, especially like a lot of club players. That I oh, just put the serving. Right. You can do that on your second. You've got a free serve. Go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? That's what I'd say to to to, to club players. Yeah. Yeah. Get that. Uh, 
get that swing going, swing speed. But, you know, with the weight, I uh, just care about the weight transfer because, you know, you obviously want to throw the ball into the court. But uh, do you do you agree with this concept that it's the service kind of like a shot put where you're like loading, you know, the back and then I guess, you know, then you just transfer the weight forward? Is that kind of the key to the weight transfer? Kind of. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, very much so with, with your weight transfer. Back foot and then on the front, but it's a lot quicker, obviously. Mm. So a lot more dynamic, and there's different ways you can start a serve, right? Yeah. But the concept is, yeah, you're starting, and you want certainly the finish of a shot put. You're going forward. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Cool. Or some, yeah, a lot, a lot of players, even some, some pretty decent players on, on the futures tour, or national players, just throwing the ball above their head and just using their arm. There's no legs. There's no momentum going into the ball. Yeah, it can be it can be improved every from a lot of players. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, actually, I interviewed Nathan Pasha a couple of weeks ago, and he, you know, he's a doubles player uh, primarily, and he mentioned that that was actually one of his problems that he he found that he wasn't going into the court, uh, so he started doing that more, and it helped a lot. So uh, that's a great tip, uh, great tip. So, uh, Marcus. I just want to ask you uh, where people can can follow you and see what you're up to. You know, any social media profiles, any websites, anything like that. Yeah, I'm uh, at willbom ninety w i l l b o m b nine zero on Instagram and Twitter. That's about it. Sorry for my content. Need some work. <laughs> I think it's quite good. I, I enjoy it. You know, I, I keep it. I keep it lighthearted and, and pretty factual. So yeah, yeah. There we go. For sure, for sure. No TikTok yet? Uh, not yet. I'll probably have it in a bit, but I'm I'm being stubborn at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Sounds good, man. Sounds good. I haven't really worked out what it is, but I'm sure I will. Yeah. yeah. So uh, final two questions for you. First, uh, you know, as I mentioned, we're wearing our uh, soccer team's regalia. Uh, any thoughts on uh, Liverpool, future uh, future outcomes for them? I think this season it's uh, we want a good Champions League run. Uh-huh. and put pressure on City. I, I'm not expecting too much other than City winning the league. So our focus is top four and, and a good Champions League run um, and get our, our first starting 11 back firing a fit again. We've got Van Dijk, Gomez, Matip, um, Henderson and Fabinho playing centre mid again, um, just keeping people fully fit and, and hoping to sign Mbappe in a couple of years. Mm. <laughs> we could all dream, can't we? Yeah, oh man, that would be that would be tough for everyone. Yeah. Cool, man. Cool. Yeah, I'm just hoping we get Kane back personally um, for Hot Spurs. But uh, yeah, every every everyone would want Spurs uh, Kane in their team. Yeah, yeah, he's he's ridiculous. So him and Son. But uh, great stuff, Marcus. So final question for you. Uh, you've given us a lot of great tips today, but I like to end uh, most of my podcast with this question, which is, what is one key tip that you would give our audience to help them? improve their tennis games one key tip would be keep make sure it's enjoyable still mm-hmm. make sure you're enjoying yourself um work hard i mean it's it's a yeah depends on what level you are for for, for aspiring pros uh make sure you're outworking everyone else trust your training um and and for adults yeah listen to your coach and and work on your strength mm-hmm. more than you're working on your weaknesses very good stuff. I would say that. That's how you get better or more scary to play against. Mm-hmm. Cool, someone who's okay at everything isn't as good as someone with a massive serve and a forehand. 
That's true. It seems like that's the minimum requirements these days for the tour anyway. Um, but Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. So cool, Marcus. Well, hey, uh, thanks a lot. It was really a lot of fun. Uh, I, I hope you enjoyed going back through mo- mostly fun memories. And, uh, you know, we look forward to uh, following you. And so everybody should go to uh, Marcus's uh, social media profiles, follow him at willbomb90, and we'll have the uh, that those links to his social media profiles in the show notes uh, on the show notes page. So, uh, Marcus, thanks a lot for taking the time. Really appreciate it, and uh, you know, wish you the best, and we'll be following you. And you know, hopefully, uh, things will open up, and and you all can kind of ball out there again uh, on the on the the tour. So, uh, thanks a lot for for joining us, and really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks, Marcus. All right. I really hope you enjoyed my interview with Marcus Willis. And Marcus, uh, if you're listening, thanks so much for coming onto the podcast. Uh, it was really refreshing and, and fun to be able to DM with Marcus. And, you know, he's quite friendly and has some great stories as well on his Instagram. So, uh, and Twitter too. Uh, some nice posts there. So, definitely be sure to follow him at willbomb90. That's W I L L B O M B 90 on Instagram and Twitter. And yeah, a lot of great stuff from this episode, from this interview with Marcus. So um, if you enjoyed this episode and you, if you enjoy the Tennis Files podcast, I would really appreciate it if you would leave a review for the show and you can go to tennisfiles.com slash Apple Podcasts. That's with an S at the end. Uh, or obviously go to the Apple Podcasts app in your phone to leave a review. You can also do that on the other podcast apps of your choice, although I just find that the reviews for Apple uh, on Apple Podcasts provide the biggest boost for the show and you know boost the visibility of the show the most, which would help benefit everybody. Uh, so we'd really appreciate a review. Thanks a lot for that. Uh, I also would like to leave you with a quote, as I often love to do at the end of the show, and this one is by Henry Ford again. Uh, and it seems like Henry has a lot of great quotes, and this one is, Nothing is particularly hard if you divide it into small jobs. And this is a great quote and really goes in line with what we talked about with Marcus, where, you know, when he played at Wimbledon, he didn't let the nerves overtake him. He didn't think uh, too far into the future. He just really enjoyed the moment. And he thought to himself, how do I win the next point? And then the next point and then the next point. So I think that's great advice for you all to stay in the present. And to divide, you know, big projects and uh, big aspirations into small jobs and small chunks. So great one by Mr. Henry Ford. All right, that is it for this episode of the Tennis Files podcast. Really appreciate you tuning in. And we'll have more great interviews and solo episodes and so forth for you on the show. So thanks so much for tuning in. And we'll see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files podcast podcast. This is Mirbon signing out. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.